Well, good morning. Again, if I've not met you yet, my name is John. I get to serve as a pastor here, which is an incredible privilege, especially at Christmas when so many of you are so warm and fuzzy to be around. And the rest of you are cold and dark-hearted. No, I'm just kidding. It is really fun to be just at center at Christmas. I cannot wait for Christmas Eve. I can't wait for who you're inviting, who I'm inviting to be a part of it. Um, it's just a good time. I don't know what your life is like, though, but here's what I've found. I've got a hypothesis. Just track with me for a few minutes. I've got a hypothesis. Christmas shopping is easier than it ever has been in the entirety of history, but is also the most challenging it's ever been in the entirety of history. Does anyone feel me this morning? Am I the only one? In the room. Okay, there's a few of you at least. See, what makes it so easy, and you maybe have already done this because you're smarter and wiser, you can sit down on your couch, fire crackling, hot cocoa in hand, and order every single thing you need online. And it actually get there in time. And it will probably cost possibly less than you would if you went to a store, certainly in gas and time and everything else that we have to expend on it. Now, what's true about me, which is likely true about you, is every time it comes this time of year, I say two things. Number one, why did I not do this in November? <laughs> That's the first thing I say. And the second thing I say is, why is it so hard to find presents for the people that I love and I know the best? That should be easier. Like we did a secret Santa. I've got my dad. He is the most predictable person to buy forever. And I literally agonized for weeks I don't know what to get my dad. I don't know what to find him. I ended up getting him a gift card. And before you roll your eyes, uh, gift cards are a monetary way of saying, I didn't have time to find a special gift for you. Here's a gift card. Like that's, we can all be honest enough about that. I, one of my favorite shows, Lindsay and I have watched religiously, is The Office. Some of you have seen The Office. You know there's a Christmas party scene where Michael Scott, the boss, gives one of his employees a video iPod which at the time cost around $400 and the gift limit for said gift exchange was like 50 for this company party. He goes way over and above and he says this, presents are essentially a way of saying, I love you this many dollars worth. And that's what I think a gift card is as well. So I copped out because dad, I love you, Bonefish Grill, $25 enough, okay? Like that's all you're getting from me. That was the limit, that's the best I could do and here's a handwritten card from my childhood. So. But as we approach things like Christmas shopping or as you approach things in your life, I don't know why Christmas shopping is such a challenge. I'm willing to bet that this Christmas, as you sit here in these seats right now or as you go home today, there are probably real life challenges when you get home. When you leave, there may be a very difficult conversation you're getting ready to have. When you leave, you may be shopping for people that you don't really like being around. When you leave, you're going to feel the pinch and the stress of why you have to show up to work tomorrow morning in order to pay off everything that you'll receive in the mail in January. When you leave, there's challenges that you and I face. When you leave, maybe this is the first Christmas that you're sick. Maybe it's the first Christmas without someone that you spent last Christmas with. Maybe for you, there's real-time challenges that as you look at 2020, you're like, can I just kind of put my life on pause? There's some stuff I just don't want to deal with. There's some challenges ahead of me. And challenges for all of us, they do one thing, and it's something we don't like. They make us feel mortal. Challenges in our life make us and remind us of the fact that we are not invincible, that we have holes in our armor. 
that, that we can get taken down. And no matter how strong we feel in 2019, there could be something in 2020 that is even harder and more painful and more challenging than something we're facing right now. Not a lot of Christmas hope this morning, but it's real. All of us have, have lived in the wake and in the face of incredible, incredible challenges. And this is why Christmas is so critical. It's why understanding what Christmas is really about. Is it about Amazon wish lists? Sure, uh, it could be. Is it about Christmas carols? On some level, it is. Is it about feeling warm and drinking hot cocoa and looking the beautiful Michigan cell? There's a part of that that's true. But is Christmas about those things or is it really about something much, much greater? Much, much more supernatural, much, much more hope-filled and life-giving than anything we currently understand about it. This story, this, this moment, and even how we respond to challenges are critical to understanding and getting the most out of the Christmas season. Now, we're going to look at a passage that we haven't looked at before uh, during this season of Christmas. It's a book that when we go to the Christmas story, sometimes we overlook. It's the Gospel of John. Now, John was one of many gospel writers who really tried their best to get a full-on account of everything Jesus taught and everything that he did. And in the gospel of John, he begins, if, if you were writing a letter, you'd probably include some of the most important things at the beginning, and you'd include important things at the end. Well, right at the beginning in John 1 verse 9, here's what John says is important about this Christmas story. He writes this, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We sang that, light into darkness. He keeps going in verse 14. Read along with me. The word became flesh and made his dwelling, his home, his abode among you and I. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The light that stepped into the darkness, the light that stepped into challenges, the light that stepped into messy people's lives just like mine and just like yours. That's the kind of God that Christmas represents. And this story, this gospel moment in history is such an incredible one because it was written, it was directed to, and the people that were witnesses to it were facing a cosmic-sized challenge. Imagine with me that your family, the entire calendar, all of your money, and the majority of your relationships centered around this promise that you've never seen. A promise you've never encountered, a prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled, a God that has not yet come and shown up in the way that you had hoped he had. Imagine the disappointment that you would feel. Picture with me how you'd have to explain it to your kids. It's like having the talk times 10, okay? Like this, this is a weird parenting moment. You're trying to explain, yeah, yeah, we know God is coming. The Messiah is on the way. There will be a savior. We don't have to live under Roman oppression forever. It just hasn't happened yet. It will, but it hasn't happened yet. There's a promise to be fulfilled, but we haven't seen it yet. And oh yeah, grandma died waiting for the same promise. Oh yeah, great grandpa, he, he thought he was going to see the promise. He hasn't seen the promise either. It's the hope, but it's also incredibly challenging when you can't see the other side 
of the promise. And Advent, this season that we're in of longing, of waiting, of anticipation, is actually just that simple of a reminder that God stepped into our world and our challenge and pursued us first. See, worship, as we're understanding it through the series of wonder, is much, much less about what you and I bring to the table, though that matters. It's much more about what God is inviting you into. That before you ever showed up, before our incredibly dedicated, not afraid of the cold, showed up team here at 5.45 a.m. this morning, uh, before all of that happened, God was inviting you and I to worship him. And not just spatially in this room, though he is, but all the time. That that's what wonder really is about. That every single day I can live with a sense of anticipation, of awe, and of wonder, and of worship. And that's what Advent really is. It's the reminder that God invites us to worship. He steps into our pain. He makes the first move. Worship doesn't start when that song hits the chorus and you're like, praise you, Lord. That is what I needed to sing. Or that was powerful truth. That, that's not when worship starts. Worship has always been going on. Worship is a song you and I enter into. Worship is a moment that you and I partake in, we participate in, but that would happen even if we weren't on board. Even if we were not aligned with it, worship is actually happening. And so as John writes verse 9 and verse 14 and kind of unpacks what Christmas, this real life of worship that God has stepped in and invited us into, you'd think that the people of Israel, Jews, would understand worship, right? Like they would have an idea of what this is all about. Uh, you may be surprised. So we're going to spend some time in John 4. So if you have a Bible, if you got a device, some of it will be on the screen, some of it won't, but you're going to want to track with this story. I love this conversation Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. In John 4, Jesus is discussing basically his mission, what he's come to do with a woman who really wasn't asking about that. See, she showed up just wanting water, and what she ends up is having a dialogue, a conversation with this oddball rabbi named Jesus from Nazareth who she doesn't fully understand. And in verse 19, we look in on this conversation. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, talking about the Samaritans, where she came from, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain where they were. But you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. And he's like, okay, we were talking about living water, and now we're talking about a theology of worship. She's debating back and forth where, like the location for her mattered. Verse 21, here's how Jesus responds. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. She's concerned with location of worship. Jesus is not concerned at all. So it doesn't really matter. Like the, the time is coming. It's going to change that things are starting to shift. In verse 22, he keeps going. You Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. But we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. He's saying salvation has come from our family line. King David, Abraham, all of these people were leading up to the salvation moment. And it's fulfilled in me that verse 23, he keeps going. Yet a time is coming and has now come. It's already, but it's also not yet. It's on the way. We haven't fully seen it. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit 
and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The kind of worshipers the Father pursues. The kind of worshipers the Father chases after. He longs for, he, he yearns for. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So you'd think right here, what you didn't read, what you didn't know, maybe what you haven't seen in this story is everything that happens in chapter 4 before verse 19. See, Jesus is not just having a conversation with the woman about water. He talks to her about living water. He also points out the fact that she's got four husbands in her wake. Her relational track record is bad, okay? I'm sure you don't know anyone like that. Just bear with me and pretend that you have people in your life who have really bad relationships. This is what is happening in this story. And she's going back and forth with him. And he's saying, you know, by the way, the person you're living with right now, yeah, that's not your husband either. Like, that's five guys that you've had interaction with. And we don't know if it was because of her, she had some kind of problem, if it was because she just had a bad track record with guys. We're not totally sure. And so what would make sense in this story is if Jesus said, okay, I'm the savior of the world. I got a brand new husband for you. Here he is. By the way, he's going to be here in 10 minutes. Let me marry you guys off and you'll live happily ever after. Except that's not at all what we just read. Jesus gives her a worship lesson. He teaches her about wonder. He teaches her about a theology of worship, but he doesn't remove her challenges. He doesn't remove the wake of relational brokenness. He doesn't remove the shame that she might have felt in that exact moment. He doesn't even necessarily say, well, yeah, yeah, but you're a Samaritan. Let me just kind of reorient your family tree a little bit. I'm the savior. I can do stuff like that. Uh, by the way, now you're a Jew. You're good. You're covered. You can worship wherever you want. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't remove the specific challenge, but he teaches her that even in her challenge, she can worship. It's not about location. It's not about, is she from the right family? It's not even about, does she have all her questions answered? Because he doesn't even answer all of her questions. He teaches her that despite challenge, she can worship. She can have a heart that's alive to God. A couple weeks ago, Lindsay and I moved into our second house. First house here in Grand Rapids, second house to us. And uh, you'd think by the second house that I would have become like, Tim the Toolman Taylor, like that's what happens, right? You get a couple houses behind you and then you figure all that out. Nope, every house, as someone was commenting to me earlier, like aren't houses kind of like alive? Like they just change, they, they, they morph, they grow. And you're like, that was working yesterday. Why is it not working today? Like I had that experience a couple weeks ago. It was like one of the first days in our house, we noticed that our full bathroom, the shower kept filling up. Now, I'm not talking like kind of annoying where it's like a little puddle. I'm talking like 10 minutes later, your foot's in a couple inches of water. Now, maybe for you that's therapeutic. For me, it's disgusting, okay? I do not like that. I'm cleaning myself, and I'm now, it's like why some of you take a bath. You lay in your own filth, which is so weird. You ever thought about that? Maybe you never said that that way, but that's what happens. We wash our kids that way too. How, how messed up is that? But... Anyway, I don't have kids yet. Maybe I'll figure it out. Uh, so the shower would fill up a couple inches, and, and Lindsay and I went back and forth. And she's like, well, 
what do you think we should do? I said, you know what, let me do what any smart handyman does. Pull out my phone and Google it. <laughs> so I pull out my phone, I Google it. I'm like, ah, I've done this before. You can do this weird mixture of apple cider vinegar and baking soda and hot boiling water. And if you pour it down the drain, it will just, er, just get everything unclogged. It will flow freely. That's what I'll do. So we're about to go to bed and she hears the water boiling. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just going to fix this shower real quick. I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> just going to go to bed. You go to bed. I'll fix this. It'll be great in the morning. Uh, the remedy didn't work. Didn't work at all. All I did was end up smelling like baking soda and apple cider vinegar. And it didn't work. So I was like, okay, well, I've been around houses long enough. I know what you can do next is get a pistol grip auger, make sure it's long enough, and I can run it through there and just kind of yank out all the stuff that is backing up this drain. And so I reached out to a friend. He's like, yeah, you can borrow one. So I get the auger. I'm in there. She's at work. And I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. She's going to come home. And I'm just going to like run the shower and just let her see the water just flowing freely. It's a beautiful, clean river. And so I get down in there. Showers are kind of weird. They're kind of gross, but it's your gross. So it's not as bad, but whatever. So I'm in there and stuff's kind of gross. I, I take off the thing. I plug the hole with the plastic bag, all the things you, you do on this old house. And then I put that snake down there and I began to crank it and crank it and crank it more and crank it more. And I'm like, it's working, it's working. Then I back it up, back it up, back it up. And the snake comes out pristine, clean. That's not what's supposed to happen. Okay. That is, I was like, okay, the challenge is still before me. How am I going to figure this out? So my very last resort, and she's like, John, don't worry about it. Like we can pay a couple hundred bucks, get a plumber. I said, you know what? I can't figure out this challenge. So let me show you a picture of what ended up happening. I ended up just gutting the entire thing. That's what our bathroom looks like. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Relax. I'm not a terrible husband. I didn't do that. I didn't do that, but I thought about it. <laughs> I did think about it. I was like, we got to rip this whole sucker out. Game over. Okay. I'm just going to start from the studs basically. No, I didn't do that. So I, I looked up a diagram of how our shower drain works. I'm a total idiot when it comes to plumbing, but I know enough to kind of figure out where the pieces are. And so I figured the piece and it was a little that's, I'm giving away my ignorance. It's a little thing that blocks the drain from flowing freely, right? When you want to take a bath, weirdos, you, you plug it and that thing drops in the pipe to fill up the tub. Thank you. I like that. Some people still think I'm funny like five minutes later. And so I, I finally figure out what was happening was that little piece was hanging too low. So I get in there again, pull everything out. I adjust a little nut to get, make sure it goes a little bit higher. And then I put it all back together and I'm like, Lord, <laughs> I'm about to lose my salvation. If this third attempt at my home, home improvement does not pull through and lo and behold, it worked. Our shower's fine. It costs us zero. Thank, wow. Thank you. It costs us zero dollars, and I got so much man points from that. I just felt like I'd conquered the world. It's like, what else you want to take? I'll demo anything at this point. And so we were, we were there, and I, I began to reflect on that a couple days later because, like a picture I showed you of someone's poor shower that they fully gutted out. I don't know if that was out of anger or just desire. 
But for me, I realized I could have spent, because I started to look up numbers, I could have spent four, five, six thousand dollars if I said we gotta take out the whole bathroom, we gotta fix everything, we gotta replace all these pipes, they're not working, oh my goodness. And it was one little piece that cost me nothing to fix. Imagine if I had ditched the challenge, if I had escaped from the challenge, if I had ran from the challenge, said, Lindsay, we're in, we're not in luck. We got to go call a plumber. We got to redo this whole bathroom this weekend. Like if I had done that, it would have cost me so much more. But here's what so many of us do. We spend our entire lives, sometimes our bank accounts, sometimes we expend the relationships with our kids or with our parents or with our best friends, just trying to make our lives challenge free. You probably have a friend who was in a difficult marriage. And she said, I'm never gonna fix this idiot. He won't go to counseling, I don't care. And what would be so much less challenging for me, what would make my life challenge free is if I just left him. And she did, she walked away. You've probably had uh, someone in your life, maybe retirement age, maybe you're in that season. And rather than really investing in your family, rather than maybe dealing with what could be some difficult conversations with your kids or with your grandkids, you decide it would be so much easier, be challenge free if I just kind of escaped to Florida for a little bit, just went away and pretended I didn't know how to use technology so no one can reach me. It'd be challenge free. I'm just gonna escape, I'm going to run, I'm gonna get away. Some of us, maybe you've had a friend like this, you know someone, it's a 42 year old guy who decides instead of really working on my marriage, instead of surrendering my marriage to God, instead of entrusting my kids and their futures to him, I'm just gonna bury myself in my work. I'm not gonna be around, I'm gonna withdraw. I'm just gonna go to work early and I'm gonna leave late because I don't want to face the challenge. It's too hard. I would rather do anything else. It's the 19 year old girl who finally gets out of high school. She makes it out alive and with minimal trauma behind her and decides, you know what? I don't want to be around these people anymore. I don't want to deal with these people. I don't want to deal with my parents. It's too challenging. I'm going to pick the farthest college away I can from home and I'm going to run. I'm going to go there. Not because I want an education at Arizona State University, but because I just want to run from the challenge. I just want to get away. I want to escape. I don't want to be around that anymore. But here's what is true. And in this conversation with a Samaritan woman, we see that. He says, it's not really about whether or not you've got the right conditions to worship. It's whether or not you will. See, the invitation to worship depends on God, but the response... Now, that depends on us. God will not force your response. God will not force you to think or act or behave a certain way when you're faced with a challenge. Worship, my friends, can be our default response to challenges. It can. It really can. I don't know where you're at in that spectrum. Maybe your life feels virtually pain-free right now, but maybe you're in the midst of excuse me, incredible challenge. What is your response? See, for Jesus in this story, and even in the Christmas story, he gives us windows. We get to see character after character. Mary, teenage girl, gets 
somehow pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Try to explain that one to your high school friends. Hey, Mary, how'd you get pregnant? Uh, it was God. That's who it was. It was the Lord. That doesn't even make sense to me. And I'm a pastor. Like, if that was my kid, I would be like, okay, we're going to have some difficult conversations. And Joseph, fiance, righteous, devout, loved God. Now he has to walk down the main street and everyone's like, that dude messed up. He's got a problem. He's got a kid and she wouldn't even say it's his. She's blaming God and he's, they're both just carrying the weight of shame. But as Mary walks through the story, what do we see? We talked about this a few weeks ago. In Luke 1, 46 to 55, she sings a worship song to God. That's her response. In the midst of challenge, she worships. Now, I think about even the story of the Samaritan woman. Now, what we didn't read is, as you keep going in, in uh, chapter 4 is that what happens for this woman is she, her heart begins to be just beating hard for God. She becomes alive to him. She becomes saved by him. And she decides to go and tell all of her neighbors what God has done. And it says that many Samaritans, many people who weren't Jews, who were on the outside, who were unclean, who didn't belong in God's family, became part of his family. That they believed in him. They became disciples. They became people who would share the good news. I think about Jesus on the cross when I think about this. Because Jesus on the cross, hanging there, bruised, tortured, weeping, one of the only things he says in that moment is, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't know. Have mercy on them. Forgive them. In the midst of the greatest challenge that any of us could face, Jesus worships. He aligns his heart with God. He, he cries out for his persecutors' forgiveness. Worship can be your default response to challenge. It can. But the invitation for that, it depends on God and he's given it to you. <laughs> He's stepped in. He's made the first move. He's brought light into darkness. He's revealed the, that God uh, can be in your problem and be in your challenge and be there with flesh and bone. He's there. It's what we read in John 1. But the response depends on us. It responds on, really depends on you. It depends on all of us to decide, are we going to worship through this challenge and Right now, there's a challenge for me as I've studied this passage, as I've sat here and wrestled with, where does that play out in my life? What is the thing for me that God is inviting me to worship him in that, frankly, there's some days I just want to run. I just want to escape. I want to find a, an environment, a place, a job, a, a relationship that's just challenge-free. just sounds good to even say it. And, let me give the caveat before I share that if you're new or you're asking questions about Jesus or you're just checking out center, just allow us into this family conversation. I want to bring you into something that every single day I feel pressure around. Every single day that I ask God, why is this still a reality? Like, why is this happening? Why is this challenge still before us? And as a church, I mean, Lindsay and I have been privileged to serve here two and a half years. And over those two and a half years, every single year, our attendance patterns have actually grown. 
and center kids and center students. Even if you look at last year's numbers in comparison to this year's, they're all up and to the right, which I was like, praise God. So many of you are sitting here who weren't sitting here a year ago because God is at work in your life. He's used center in some way. And we build budgets based off those numbers sometimes. We assume that, okay, uh, if these things are tracking, giving will trail behind that. It will be there. Uh, but it's actually been the opposite. Our giving has actually decreased. And if you see at the bulletin, you know there's a $15,000 deficit we sit here with today. It's just reality. And I scratched my head. I'm like, why is this such a challenge? Why is this still happening? Why, why am I still sitting in this spot? If every other area is growing but that, what is happening? And I started to think about this about a month ago and sat with our team. And we've talked about it. We've prayed about it. And even Steve Allison, Melissa Boltima, two people that kind of represent our church on our leadership team as a church, they said, yeah, this, this trend is kind of concerning to us too. Like, what do, we, what do we do with that? And currently, as you all have a bulletin, we're about $15,000 behind where we need to be going into 2020 in order to be good stewards of what God has given us, to keep serving, to, to keep paying people, to keep the lights on, all those kind of things. We're about 15000 behind. And I want to give you the bad news and then the good news. The bad news, and hear me clearly, if our giving patterns do not change, there's going to be some difficult decisions in the near future. You just have to hear that. It would be wrong for me as a friend and pastor and leader to say, no, no, we, we got it figured out. We're all good. Like, don't worry about it. Just kind of, we're on cruise control. It'll be, it, we, this is a reality. This is where we sit today. But the good news is that we have the resources in this church to cover it and more. I really believe that. I really believe that the resources are latent within all of us to make up the ground that we're behind financially. Because here's what I know, and this is anecdotally, and then I've got metrics to back it up. You are some of the most generous people I've ever met. It's true. You really are. I'm not saying that to just like make you feel better. You really are some of the most generous and giving and sacrificial people I know. But if I was in your shoes, sitting where you are, I would want to know this information. As a member of the church, as someone who's part of what God's doing here, I'd want to know this stuff. And what's incredible is that uh, as we've just grown in ministry, as we've been, been able to serve more families, we've, we've been able to see more kids and students connected to gospel ministry than ever have been before. The scary, scary reality is that we can't keep giving to hand to hand. We can't keep giving to hope unexpected. We can't keep giving and investing in students and kids in our partner school, Oriole Park, and our needs in local communities, and even globally as we got to send a team to Haiti, and all of that kind of stuff. We can't do that unless we are able to take care of our house first, unless we're able to be good stewards of what God has presented us with, the opportunity he's given us to partner with him in stewardship. And if we don't resolve this, if we don't see God move and shift us, we won't be able to serve them the same way this coming year. It's just where we're at. And so you may sit there and like, okay, that's kind of freaky. I, didn't even, I don't even look at the bulletin. I didn't even know there was a bulletin. Like you may sit here and just be confused about what I'm even talking about. What am I asking of you today is probably the next question on your mind. Like, am I going to put a bucket up here and we just dump all the money we have and see what we end up with? Like, no, that's not necessarily what we're 
going to do. Here's all I'm asking of you right now. Will you seek the Lord with me? Will you trust him with me? Will you put your hope in him with me this Christmas? Despite challenges, despite what may be going on in your personal life, because here's what I know. You're sitting here because there's a good chance you care deeply about this church. There's even better chance that you care deeply about your lost friends and neighbors that live near this church, right? That there's people that their lives would be significantly better. They would be restored. There's marriages and families that would be healed if they came in contact with the gospel and the grace of Jesus. You're here because you believe that's true. And I want to be clear on my end that Lindsay and I are more committed and invested and bought in to all that center is and can be more than ever right now. I wouldn't have bought a house if I wasn't thinking that this was going to play out the way God wanted to. I trust him. I do. I've staked my entire life and career on him up until this point, and I'm not going to stop. We are committed to this reality. We're committed to seeing center grow to be all it can be, to seeing lost people come to Christ, getting to celebrate not just five baptisms this year, which is incredible, five lives changed, transformed, surrendered. What would it be like to celebrate 50? I've got enough people in my life we could fill that tank with a couple times over, and you probably do too. I know that you want to see that. I want to see that. I believe that we can make a tangible but also an eternal impact in this community, one that even when center is long gone, that people say, do you remember what they did? Do you remember the kind of church they were? Remember how weird those people were? <laughs> that they loved people who didn't love them back, that they gave and they served in ways that just didn't bring them any return. It just was because they loved people. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine a church where you continue to grow and mature and see your faith grow year on year? Can you imagine that kind of place? Can you imagine moving into a permanent home? A place, I mean, I'm not knocking this gym. I've got some qualms. If I was a renovator, there's some things I might change. But here we are. We sit here right now. But can you imagine if God had something for us that, that we just didn't trust him enough yet to see? We weren't willing to say, okay, we got a challenge, but God, we're going to worship you in this. We don't know what it's going to look like. This challenge before us, Center, is the opportunity to worship in its truest form. There's a challenge. There's a God who can overcome the challenge, and we can trust in the challenge and just sit in that, or we can trust in the God who can overcome the challenge. We can seek him and ask for his favor and his blessing. We can say, God, you are enough, and we're just going to worship you with what we have. It may feel insignificant. It may feel way too small for the task at hand, but we're going to worship you with what we have. I want to read a verse together, not just because I like this verse. I do. But because I believe God has put it on my heart for our season that we're in. I just want to read it out loud together. Philippians 4, 19. Let's read it together. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Did you catch the... That was not for dramatic effect. <laughs> that is one way to break momentum. Thank you very much. But did you catch the word all? Do you have needs in your life today? Do we have needs as a church? We just figured out, yes, we have some needs. 
But I truly believe God will meet all of our needs when we take care of his work. When we take care of God's interests, when we care, when we give, when we sacrifice for the mission that's so much bigger, zero is so much bigger, you and I can make, will be assured over and over in scripture, he's going to take care of us. We will be just fine. And God has never failed me. I'm betting he's not failed you. You're sitting here today because God has been faithful to you. And so here's how I want to respond. I said, we're going to seek the Lord. I'm not going to roll out like a massive strategy or plan because frankly, I can't force anyone to do anything and you can't force me to do anything, but we can trust God together and say, we don't know what the future holds, but we trust you. We have challenges and we have a God who can overcome challenges. So let's pray together and humble ourselves before the Lord.